And, and I want to say to you guys that it isn't, you know, how fast is what your lightning pace it is, but it is slow and steady that wins the race. So it's faithfulness, consistency, longevity is so important, isn't it? Now, don't get me wrong, because sometimes we confuse motion for momentum, um, you know, activity for productivity. Just because you're doing something, just because there's motion, doesn't mean it's, it's momentum, right? Because you can be spinning your wheels and going nowhere. But the truth is, it is really important that we recognize that this call that God has given to us is a call to endure. It's a call to persevere. And there's some people that have amazing, you know, charisma. They're very competent. They're very gifted. But unfortunately, they don't cross the finish line. They don't finish well. Howard Hendricks was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he said there are over 100 leaders in the Bible, and more than two-thirds of them did not finish well. Wow. Over two-thirds of them did not finish well. Think of the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy. He said, I've, I've, you know, I've finished my race. I've completed the course. I've fought the good faith. He was an old man when he said that. He was up in age, but he had been faithful to God. He had endured through much hardship, persecution, difficulty, but he endured. He was persistent. He persevered. He broke through. And I look at Christians today, including myself, and, and I have to ask the question, am I really persevering? I mean, just because we're still here doesn't mean we're persevering. You understand what I'm saying? Just because you show up doesn't mean you're growing up. You need to recognize that God is calling you. He's calling you and me to a place where we're still moving forward. And it's definitely imperative that we make that commitment to, to be in church, to read the word, to pray, to be faithful in those things. But what about our internal life? What about the things that maybe others don't see about us? They don't see about you. What about that? How are you, are you changing? Are you growing? Are you becoming more like Christ or have you regressed? Perhaps you're still coming, but inwardly you've shrank back. Inwardly you're moving backwards or at least you're staying still and you're not going forward. I want to challenge you that in this time that of history in the world, guys, there's amazing things that are happening, and the church must be active. The church must be aggressive. The church must be moving forward. Individually, we need to focus on our relationship and our walk with God and growing up and becoming mature and strong. And our theme this year is every believer a disciple. Right? Jesus said to those who believed in him, if you continue in my word or you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. So every person who's a believer, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. Well, Jesus said that's not enough. That's a starting point. That's the entryway into the kingdom. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom. But then you must grow. You must develop. You must continue to mature and become more and more like Jesus Christ. And he's given us the grace to be able to do that. Isn't that amazing? So our verse this morning that we're going to look at is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. I want to read this. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. When he says, may the God of peace sanctify you completely, the word sanctify means make you holy, purify you, right? And he says completely or entirely. The word can also mean through and through to the deepest parts of your life, to the deepest uh, recesses of your life. God wants to sanctify you and me and make us holy in every way so that we're whole in spirit, soul, and body. And we're kept blameless until Jesus Christ 
comes again. Wow, what an amazing truth, you know. And the Bible tells us very clearly in Psalm 139, 14, that the Lord made us as his masterpiece, as as the marvel of his creation, and that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Wow, think of that. And we are what? Triune beings. That's amazing. We're trying beings. When, when I look at you and you look at me, you know, the Bible says, talks about judging people after the flesh, seeing people just, in other words, naturally, how before we knew Christ, we, we only knew of Jesus as an historical person. We didn't see him or know him spiritually, so we just saw him or, or knew him after the flesh from a human standpoint, in other words. But the Bible says that when we came to Christ, we began to see him in a new way. Why? Because our spirit was awakened. Our spirit now begins to understand spiritual things. And when I look at you and you look at me, hopefully you see more than just a physical person. Hopefully you recognize the image and likeness of God in me as I do in you. Because we are all created in his image and likeness. Every one of us. We may look differently, talk differently, but we are still individually his unique creation. And he made us in his image and likeness. When you're born again, when I was born again, the Bible says that we were born of the spirit. Our spirit became new. It's an amazing thing. Our spirit became new. We have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. Let me just go back to this, sorry. We have a spirit, we have a soul, and a body. We're triune beings, right? And when we were born again, we became new creation. I love this verse. It means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And the new person that we become is actually, listen to this, created and in the image and likeness of God. Wow. We're created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. When we're born again, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is what Paul is saying. In fact, when we were born again, our spirit man inside us made perfect is what the Bible says. The spirits of just men made perfect. But unlike our spirit, our soul, our mind, our emotions, our will, our affections, was not made perfect when we were born again. The Bible is clear that God is committed, though, to see us completely conformed to his image and likeness, not only our spirit, but our soul and our body as well. We know our body will one day be resurrected. We'll, we'll receive an immortal body when Jesus comes back. But while we're here on the earth, God is committed to seeing our soul become more and more like him. We've already looked at this amazing verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It's an amazing verse where he talks about your whole spirit, your soul, and your body is actually made holy, is purified, is consecrated. And you know, there's no way to separate who we are in terms of our spirit, soul, and body in the sense that what happens to us? For example, if you are tired, it does affect your emotions, doesn't it? Then I'm, what? If you're hungry, we say you're hangry, right? And because I'm, I'm hangry, I need some food. Some people are really get hangry if they don't eat. And it's true. And so what happens is, is our body impacts our soul and our soul impacts our spirit, and our spirit impacts our soul, and our soul, our body. In fact, even our systems in our body are connected, you know, our, to, not to our soul, to our emotions, our endocrine systems, our nervous system, etc. It's connected. It's an amazing thing. How do you do that? To your what? To your nervous system, and all of that is connected. So who we are is we are a whole being only when we are Spirit, soul, and body sanctified. You know, you, you can be the Apostle Paul and be the greatest person on the earth, but that's still not the entire uh, consummation of whom God created you to be because one day you're going to have a body that never gets tired, never gets old, never gets fat. You know, come on now, right? So, and what happens is 
that type of thing is because of what? Because of the Lord, his goodness. But there is a calling. There is a calling for each one of us to cooperate with the Lord. Our soul is being sanctified. And each one of us must take part in the purification process. I love this word in Ephesians 4, the writings of Paul. He says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, in other words, now that you're a Christian, now that you're a follower, here's what you're supposed to do. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. You know, it's amazing that when you think about God, his commitment to help us, Jesus did everything that was needed at the cross for us to become conformed to the image and likeness of his son. And that's the goal of our salvation, remember, Romans 8, 29. Those who before knew he predestined to be conformed to his image and likeness, his image, the image of the son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He did everything that was necessary. When we think about Often the way we live as Christians, we, we pass the buck, so to speak. We put all the responsibility on God. God, will you change me? Can I tell you something? God's not going to change you. God's not going to change you. Why? Because the scripture is very clear. It's a collaboration. It's something that we have to partner with the Lord. We have to be committed to this process of sanctification. You know, God's not just going to go, okay, wave his magic wand or whatever, and then change us. We have to commit ourselves. We have to engage in this process. We have to put off and we have to put on. If you read Ephesians chapter 4, you put off your stinking attitudes, your mindsets. You put off your bad behavior and all of these things, and you put on the righteousness of Christ. You put on the new mind that is yours in Christ. You put on doing good instead of doing these other things. It's all a decision. In fact, the Bible is very clear, and I was listening to an amazing interview this week with John Ortberg, and he said this. He was talking about following Jesus, and he said the interesting thing about modern Christianity in comparison to the to the gospel of Jesus Christ and how Jesus discipled others is we tell people, all you need to do is believe in Jesus and then just, that's kind of the, you know, that's your, that's your in, so to speak. And then you, from that point, you just begin to follow him. You, you have to believe the correct things, first of all. And if, once you get that set up, that you understand who Jesus is, and the basics of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I remember when I was first contemplating coming back to the Lord, being his disciple, being his follower, one of the pastors that I spoke with just basically told me, you need to do this, 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 and this first, and you need to believe this, and you need to stop doing that, and then you can be his disciple. But Jesus never did that. He never did that. He was ministering and he said to people, come and follow me. Come and follow me and I will make you. Meaning, come and follow me, spend time with me, pursue me, begin to have that relationship, that fellowship with me, and in that place, I'll begin to change you. And they began to do certain things. They began to follow him. They began to even obey him. And God began to change them. And it's so interesting that we've gotten it, literally, we've, we've inverted it to the point now that we've got to believe, we've got to do all the, and, and have the right understanding. And I know there's, we, we need to preach that you must believe, that you must repent, absolutely. But guys, there's this relationship that we're called to. And I believe that as we're pursuing God, even though we may not fully even understand what it means, think about people that are in other countries where they don't have Bibles. They don't have churches. They don't have someone to sit down and, and tell them, you know, uh, the, explain the doctrine of soteriology, okay? They, they have to actually just... Uh, they have these encounters, some of them with God, who've never even heard the gospel. 
and but they've had an encounter with Jesus. And, and what happens is they begin this pursuit of following Jesus. They begin this, this time of just seeking after him. Who is he? What does he require? How can I get to know him? And in that place, things begin to change in our lives. Jesus didn't call them to a 12-week you know, foundations of the faith class. And then at the end of that 12 weeks, okay, guys, now you get it. Now, who wants to be born again? He didn't do that. He said, come and follow me. Relationship first. Come and seek after me. And in that place of following him, even being obedient to him, they began to understand who he was. They began to to realize what it is that he required and, and even the areas in their life and how they needed to change. And I believe that that's the true gospel. I believe that's the gospel. But let me just say this. It doesn't stop. It's not like, okay, I've been doing this for five years. I'm good. Now I don't have to pursue him any longer. Now I don't need to change. You know, I'm, I'm good. I've got it all sorted and I'm stable and I'm, I'm established It's good. No, it's a process because our soul, our mind, our emotions, our will, our affections, everything about us has to be transformed and will continue to be transformed more and more into his likeness until the day that we die or when he comes back. It's such an amazing call that we must surrender ourselves to the Lord. You know, I've mentioned John G. Lake's famous quote. People wonder why after having given their hearts to God and after having received a witness of the Spirit that they are troubled with evil desires and tempted in evil ways. Then he gives the answer. The nature has three departments, and therefore the surrender of the Spirit to God is not all that he demands. God demands also the mind and the body. John G. Lake in his famous message, Triune Salvation. God demands that we surrender everything to him. Wow. Think about this. When you were born again, when I was born again, our spirit was made perfect. We were given a new nature, the very nature of God in us. We're a new creation. What an amazing thing. But then God says, Let's change your soul. Let's change the way you think. Let's change the way you, you uh, respond and react. And let's change how you behave and, and the, even some of the ways you feel. Because, you know, one of the signs of maturity is how we no longer react certain ways. It's not just the fact that, well, you know, I, I don't do certain things. It's not how who I not reacting the way I used to react. When someone did this to me, said that to me, I'm no longer, you know, it's no longer devastating to me. It's no longer, you know, holding me back. But there's something in me that is strong. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm fortified in my faith and my identity and, and uh, my mind, my emotions, my will is surrendered to Jesus. And I know who I am because I know whose I am. And because of that, we, we change. We're conformed to his image and likeness. So we have to recognize that God has called us to a place where we are sanctified in our soul. You ever have a bad thought? Ever not have a bad thought? No, I'm kidding. Do you ever think negative thoughts? You say, I've been a Christian 20 years. Sometimes I just get so, or you may be, you know, I just ah, depressed. I'm discouraged. You still have these battles. Guess what? It's not about whether you have them or not, because I believe you will have them. But it's how you respond to these things. Because every one of us has a soul. God has created us with the capacity to, to feel pain. God has created us in a way that 
It's really important for us because, you know, pain is actually a good thing. Pain, in a sense, is God's way. Just like our body, when it's in pain, it's a warning sign that something's wrong. And in our soul, it's an indication that something is wrong. When we put pain in our soul, our innermost being, it's a warning that we must take action and find the root cause of the matter so we can be healed. Psalm 31, verse 9 to 10, David said this, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief, yes, my soul and my body. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of what? My iniquity and my bones waste away. So there are things that can cause pain in our life. You know that. And one of them is just clearly this. It's, it's sin. Personal acts of sin. David says it's because of my iniquity that my soul is in anguish. People that particularly have come out of lifestyles where they've hurt a lot of people, they've done a lot of wrong to people. You know, for example, drug addicts, former drug addicts, when they come out of that lifestyle, they've got a lot of pain in their life. It's self-inflicted pain. It's pain because of what they've done to other people, what they've done to themselves. There's regret. There's a sense of grief. And there's a sense of personal disappointment and frustration. How could I have ever have done that? How could I have hurt my family? How could I have done that to my friends? How could I have done that to me? So there's this real sense of anguish and pain and, and inner conflict. And, and there has to be an address in the sense that it has to be dealt with. You know, David committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband Uriah healed. And we think about, uh, killed, sorry, not healed. That's in the gospel of, uh, I don't know, Tobiah or something. But anyway, but what happened was, we think about David, right? He does all that stuff. And then the next thing you know, we read the story about Nathan. Nathan approaches him, the prophet, and confronts him, tells him the story about the sheep and the lamb, and, and David's angry, and who would be so ruthless? And, and he says, you are the man, David. And then David breaks. And David's heart, he cries out. He writes a few psalms, at least Psalm 38, Psalm 51, and he talks about the anguish in his soul, all that he went through because of his pain. Psalm 38 Again, written because of David's confession and his sin against Bathsheba, against her husband. He says, I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. We know Psalm 51, verse 3. It says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. What does that mean? My sin is always before me. The New Living puts it this way, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. My rebellion haunts me day and night. So there's this pain, there's this wound because of our personal sin. Lukewarmness, apathy towards spiritual matters, resistance to God's will, emptiness within our soul. We just empty selfishness, anger, unforgiveness, rejection, fear, confusion. These are all things that create pain in our soul, things that cause us to not really live out in that place, our lives in the place of wholeness. We're incapacitated. There's always an area of deficiency and brokenness in our lives when these things aren't dealt with, but yet, recognize that all of this, the pain that's being caused, is God's way of alerting us to our need to come to him for healing. Come to me, all you who are heavy burdened, you who, you who are oppressed, you who have no hope. Come to me, I'll give you rest, I'll heal you, I'll forgive you. Let me set you free, let me change you. 
Let me fill you with fire and passion. Let me give you a new heart, a new mind, a desire to do my will. Let me take away the selfishness and the anger. Deal with the pain of rejection, your fear, your confusion. Let me heal you. Another way in which we experience pain in our soul is trauma. And by that, I mean what people do to us or what life inflicts upon us at times. How many know that sometimes life is not fair? But you realize that trauma, you know, you, you, somebody gossips about you. Someone, you know, does more than that and maybe attacks you and slanders your character. And, you know, unless you deal with that, that can really cause a deep wound in your life. I mean, if you've ever been physically assaulted, If you've ever been abused, if you've ever been taken advantage of, ripped off, even neglect, growing up being neglected, no love in your family, no not being shown any love by, you know, parents or a parent, not having a parent around, all of that can cause pain in your life, you know? Think about rejection, divorce, the pain of divorce, particularly when someone that you loved was unfaithful, broke your heart, they crushed you. You never thought it would happen. You never saw it coming. And it's caused pain. And many people, many Christians have not dealt with it. There's still that deep, festering wound underneath. God wants to bring healing to us. You know, guys, there's nothing wrong with scars. I was looking at my arm this week, and I've actually got a few scars on me. And I was thinking about the scar. The scar is still visible, but the wound is healed. But you know what is not good is when the wound is not healing. There might be a scab, but for whatever reason, that scab is constantly being reopened up. The wound is being reopened up, reopened up, reopened up. And what happens is you never experience healing. God wants us to walk in a place where maybe these things, their thoughts, yeah, that wasn't nice, that wasn't pleasant, And we have the scars, so to speak, that always remind us because we can never forget about it. It's it's there. I mean, we're not going to have our our memory erased. God's not going to do that. But the truth is God wants to bring healing into our soul. So even though we may not forget about what happened, when we don't look back, it doesn't create angst. It doesn't cause distress. It doesn't cause us to react in anger or, or, or brokenness. It doesn't incapacitate us or paralyze us. It's not a toxic thing in our life. Relationships, wow. Maybe the trauma of a car accident, children on drugs, business failure, long-term health failures. Wow, that can be a tough one. All of this can wound our soul. Job, think about Job. Job went through so much trauma. His servants were killed. He lost all his money. His children died. He became sick, boils all over his body. Then he had to deal with his friends turning on him, right? His three closest friends falsely accusing him. No wonder he said, my soul is vexed. Even our Lord Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death. Jesus' soul was exceedingly sorrowful, guys, to the point of death. You can die of soul pain. It can kill you. We know that people kill themselves. They take their lives because of real pain, pain that they've not been able to find healing for it. But I want to say this morning that God is good. And the Father is a God who can bring and will bring and is committed to bring healing into our lives. So that not only our spirit, 
is sanctified, is purified, but our soul is also purified. Our soul is made whole. Our soul is healed. The God of peace, may he sanctify you completely through and through. May your entire spirit, soul, and body be found blameless at the coming of Jesus Christ. The God of peace, the word is a covenant term, peace. Shalom in the Old Testament, it means nothing broken, nothing missing, nothing out of order, everything complete. Everything the way God intended it to be. So God is committed to healing us. The psalmist cried out, I will be glad and rejoice in your love. Why? For you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. Wow. God sees our affliction and he knows the anguish of our souls. He knows what we're going through. And we know sometimes it's self-inflicted and, and sometimes we choose to worry and so on. I get that. But the point is, is God still sees it. He knows what we're going through and he's committed to heal us. Psalm 147, 2 and 3, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God is committed to bring healing so you can be free. You don't have to be bound by these things in your past. If you're still disappointed when, you know, if you're upset with yourself, if you can't forgive yourself, if there's someone else that you're not able to forgive, if you just have constant memories that, that are, you know, just painful to you, if, if you are still struggling with things and you're being tormented and, in your mind or your emotions in whatever way, if you're, if you're finding that you are addicted and you're in bondage and you're in sin and you can't get free and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you go well for a while but then you fail and you fall again please know that God is committed to sanctify your soul which is your mind your emotions your will your volition to give you willpower and you know the interesting thing is how does God do this he does it by the Holy Spirit and he does it by the word I'm going to walk through five or six very practical ways five or six Let's see. Six very practical ways that God helps us to walk, to go through this healing process. But let me tell you this. When you think about the Holy Spirit, Jesus said at the cross, it is finished. And then what did he do? He said, I give you power to be witnesses. When? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I said, I will give you power to be a witness. Now, the interesting thing is the Greek word dunamis, it's a very interesting word. We know it means miraculous power, means divine ability, power to do miracles. That's what it means. But one of the definitions of the Greek word dunamis is this, moral power and excellence of soul. Moral power and excellence of soul. God gives us Moral power and excellence of soul through the person of the Holy Spirit. As we learn to grow in his grace, and his grace isn't just forgiveness of sin. So often we, you know, we, we look at God's grace or we define God's grace as forgiveness or mercy, but we stop there. But it's, it's the power of God working in us, changing us into his image and likeness. Grow in grace and knowledge, 2 Peter 3, 18. You can't grow in the sense of just experiencing more and more grace. Like some people say, well, that means we just have to learn to, to forgive ourselves more. We have to learn to appropriate God's mercy. And, but yet we're not changing. In that context, we're not changing. God, I know that I'm going to sin. I know I'm going to have these terrible thoughts. I know I'm going to have this hatred in my heart. I know I'm going to have this dysfunction in me where I cheat, I lie, I do lust, or whatever it is that you do. And God, I thank you that your grace covers it all. I'm forgiven. The Bible says, if you cover your sins, you will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes his sin will obtain mercy from the Lord. There's a place, guys, where we have to recognize that the power of the Holy Spirit is to give us moral power and excellence of soul. Isn't that good? 
moral power and excellence of soul, dunamis. God wants to change us from the inside out. He wants to heal you. He wants to bind up your wounds and begin the healing process. No matter what it is, no matter who did it, whether it's you, someone else, God wants to bring healing. So what do we do? The first thing is you need to ask God to heal your soul. You need to pray for healing. David said in Psalm 41, verse 4, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I sinned against you. Come on, have you ever done that? Say, God, this pain, my soul, heal it. I remember one day I was in America and I had gone through a situation that was very painful. I had people that had betrayed me and and lied about me. Maybe you've never had that happen to you. But here I am, I'm driving on the freeway and I thought about what had happened and I was thinking about it quite a bit that week. And it just hit me. Man, I have this pain deep down in my core of my being. There was this pain inside me. And I was, you know, the type of person is like, you know, real men don't cry and, and suck it up and all that kind of attitude. But I realized that God was speaking to me. He said, you've got pain. You need me to heal you of your pain. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, son, ask me to heal you in your soul. And I was, as I was driving, I was driving for a few hours. I was by myself. I just said, Father, heal my soul. Remove this pain. Take away. Yes, I forgive. Yes, Lord. I, I, but I still, even though I'd done that many times, Lord, I don't, I'm not angry at them. I, I, don't, I don't hate them. I forgive them. That really wasn't even the issue. But there was this pain, this residual pain that was left as a result of the wound. And what ended up happening is, When I prayed that prayer, I noticed from that point onward, I was like a different person. I didn't have this pain. I wasn't, I felt better. My joy was restored. And it was just simply a prayer. God, be merciful to me. Heal my soul. Heal my soul. Maybe, maybe it's because of our personal sin or maybe it's what, as a result of what someone else has done to us. But ask him to heal your soul. If you have pain, If you deal with anger, if you deal with something, if there's something that constantly resurfacing and resurging in your life, ask God to heal you so that this thing is no longer happening because the pain is a manifestation of something deeper, right? You react because you're in pain. You lash out because you're in pain. We become passive-aggressive, right? We may not necessarily physically do something, but deep down within there's there's this whole passive-aggressive thing going on in our lives. And God wants to bring healing to us. Secondly, strengthen your spirit man. Strengthen your spirit man. The Bible talks about how, you know, a crushed spirit. Like if you, you can go through difficult times, you can go through hardship and be sick and But if your spirit man is strong, you'll get through it. If your spirit man is strong, you'll get through it. And there's a lot of people that what happens in life is is they're dealing with these things because as a result, they don't have the strength to combat it. They don't have the strength to deal with this stuff because they're not strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And Paul told us very clearly that we should be, uh, according to the riches of his glory, that we would be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So what happens is, guys, we have to live in a place where we're strong. We have to live in a place where we're prayed up, we're full of the Spirit, the Word is in us, and as a result of that, the things that happen in our life are going to be a lot easier to combat. In fact, some of it is not even going to be an issue. In my personal testimony, when I first got saved and God changed me, and there were areas that I struggled with and temptations that I had to deal with, but what the Lord taught me was he said, Son, pray, spend time in my word, spend time in prayer, pray in tongues, pray in the Spirit, and worship me. And as I did, and as I kept building myself up, and I was doing this every day, I found that all of a sudden things that previously were were tempting to me, the, the, the desire for these things completely lifted. It was gone. I didn't even have a desire. And that wasn't because I was constantly thinking, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't go there. Don't. It wasn't even that. It was because 
Jesus was changing me from the inside out because I was focusing on building up my spirit man. Hallelujah. So strengthen your inner man. Secondly, renew your thoughts and your attitudes, right? Thirdly, renew your thoughts and attitude. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Both good and bad habits. How many know that every one of us has habits? We have patterns of thinking. We have routines. And uh, sometimes those things aren't necessarily good, right? Sometimes they're, they're toxic. Sometimes they're just not helping us because we live in a place of, of um, restriction. You know, this is the way I always do it. So therefore, you're not going to change unless you change what you're doing. And yet, if you're going to change what you're doing, you have to change the way you're thinking. So what is it? Because both good and bad habits and negative and positive emotions are created by thinking patterns. And these thinking patterns create neural pathways and memories which become the default basis for our behavior when we're faced with a choice or a decision. Think about it. Maybe if you were a child, so, you know, you were attacked. And what happens is you were attacked, and what did you do? You defended yourself, right? And so you fought back. And so any time you feel that you're being attacked, you know, then what ends up happening is Maybe you say someone is challenging you. Maybe your, your husband, your wife is challenging you. But you've got this thing in you. You feel like, I'm being attacked. Fight or flight. You know? And, and what ends up happening is you get really defensive. And when it's because there's something in you that you still need to deal with. And God wants to renew our thoughts, our attitudes. And just saying, well, I'm not going to do it anymore, really doesn't work. You know that? There's a lot of people in life that say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to stop. That's it. I'm done with it. I won't do it anymore. Yeah, right. Next week, the week after, however long it may be, you're at it again. Why? Because you have to create new neural pathways which are formed as a result of developing new patterns of thinking. Guys, neurologists okay, have found this to be true. And the Bible said it years ago before medical science validated it. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed, okay? So I'm going to change my behavior. I'm not going to be like the world. I'm not going to live like them, talk like them, have an attitude like them. I'm going to be a different person altogether. How do I do that? By being transformed according to the renewing of your minds, Allow the word to get into you. Allow the, the, the thoughts of God to get into you, to seep into you. So you deal with these things. You renew your mind and you replace these things. Every time you get, you know, you get anxious or fearful, you know, and the Bible talks about how it says that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, Titus 2, 11 and 12, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts right? And so we can live holy, godly lives in this present age. Now, it says the grace of God teaches us to deny, okay? Now, grace is a teacher. The grace of God, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of grace at least twice in the Bible, and he's also called the teacher. And the Holy Spirit will teach us what? Deny. Do you know what the word deny means? It's a very interesting term. In the Greek language, it means to contradict by speaking. To contradict. So what does it mean? Whenever you feel anxious or afraid, contradict that. How do you contradict that? Elizabeth mentioned today, praise is a weapon. You praise, you worship, you thank God. You confess the word. 
I don't need to be afraid. He's promised he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging bread. God is with me. He's not going to leave me. He'll provide all my need according to his riches and glories in Christ Jesus. Whatever it is, you contradict it. You speak forth the word of God and you speak to your soul. Sometimes we have to speak to our soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. David was saying, soul, you're going to bless God whether you feel like it or don't feel like it. Soul, you're going to bless God. So you don't want to bless God. You want to complain. You don't feel very good, but soul, you're going to bless God. So he spoke to his soul. Wow. All right. Let's stop there. I got three more, but we'll stop there. This is the truth that God saved us so we can be whole, spirit, soul, and body. And the Bible says that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, all your strength. We're to love God with our entire being, in other words, is what he's saying. Is that what the word says? Right? So how do we love God? Present our body as instruments of righteousness. He wants us to present our bodies as instruments of righteousness. Lord, come and fill me. Strengthen me in the inner man. God, change my life. Make me more like you. God, renew the way I think. Put your mind, your thoughts in my life. God, don't limit him. Don't, don't look at situations and say it can't be done or it'll never change. Contradict it. Contradict it. What does the word say? We need to know what the word says. We need to know God's diagnosis of our situation. Amen? That he said, you don't have to be like this. You don't have to be this. You, you might have, you know, something, some repressed, suppressed anger because of what someone did to you. Maybe, maybe you know, you had kids growing up and when your kids are growing up, or maybe even some of them are adults, and they've just created a lot of angst, a lot of drama for you as a parent, and you're still at this point where this thing inside of you, you know, you may not say it to them, and we'll talk about this next week, you may not ever communicate how you feel about it, but inside, you're angry, and so it becomes this passive-aggressive thing. You look at them and you smile, and you give them what they want, but inside you're like, when are they going to grow up? When are they going to be responsible? When are they going to, you know? And we have this in us as human beings. We're not dealing with stuff. We're not dealing with it. And God wants to set us free. Guys, you can't necessarily go back. Some of us, we look at our, you know, our lives and we wonder, wow, could I have done it better? You know, could I have made better choices? I was looking at that this week. You know, we were dealing with the school of ministry, and we're, I'm looking up, uh, you know, resources for people that we can utilize as resources to teach the students. And, and I look, and I find uh, this Dr. Such-and-Such, such, two PhDs, is a professor of New Testament at Tyndall Theological Seminary in Toronto, Canada. I'm going to go, oh my gosh, she was in my class, in my seminary class. And here she, she's like this professor, and, and I'm looking at myself, and I see some of my friends and, and uh, people that were in Bible, I was in Bible college with, and, you know, they're pastoring churches of thousands of people, and they're leaders and denominations. And I look at myself, and I'm going, oh my gosh. I'm just being honest. I, 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 I haven't done much. Man, I could, I could have, I could have done so much better. And you say, well, it is what it is, right? Exactly. Could I have done things better? Yes. We could have all made better choices at times, couldn't we? But the point is we didn't. And God is a God of restoration. And sometimes we compare ourselves to others. And that's even what God has for us. I don't want to be a Bible college professor. That's not my aspiration. 
Maybe pastor church of 10,000 people. I might be okay with that. But the truth is, you know, that can become a political thing as well. And maybe one of the reasons why I, I just never had that is because I'm not political. I don't know. But the fact is, regardless of what it is, what it is, well, I wish I had a, you know, finished school. I wish I had of, uh, you know, been better raising my kids or better as a, as a husband, as a wife. And, you know, and sometimes those bridges are burned, guys, and it's tough. I get it. But what do we do? We have to just be honest with God. And, yeah, we just say, Lord, you know, I'm sorry. Be honest and, and acknowledge our shortcomings and our failures and ask for forgiveness. And that's really, God's already forgiven us, by the way, but it's for us, right? So we can, we can walk in that place of freedom. Then what we do is we, we come to a place where we just say, okay, God, forgive me. And then you say, soul, be healed in Jesus' name. Your choices, the things that you've done, things you maybe should have done but you didn't do, it doesn't matter. Jesus has come to forgive us, to heal us. Take away the pain, take away the regret, take away all of that stuff that holds us back and paralyzes us, not the woulda, coulda, shoulda, but look, what is it? The reality is here I am. And God, I want the rest of my life to count. Regardless of how many, how few those years, months may be, I want it to count for you. And Lord, I just need to put this all under the blood this morning. I need to get rid of it because I need to move into what you've, you know, I shouldn't have done that in business. And I shouldn't have risked, I shouldn't, whatever. It's okay, guys. Just experience the forgiveness of God and allow him to heal you. If there's still tormenting thoughts over your past, if there's still things and regrets and pain, and let God heal you. Would you let him heal you? If we're going to help people, we got to be whole. We got to be whole. If there's anything that's holding you back, if you're still struggling with sin, if there's addiction, if there's secret sin, if there's hidden stuff in your life that people don't even know about, you know what? Maybe you can find someone who, who can help you. Be honest. Someone that you really, really can trust. They're not going to condemn you. They'll help you. But recognize that as you draw close to God, you know, as you, as you make that commitment, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, to renew your mind, and ultimately to ask God to heal you. He will bring healing to your life. We're going to take a few moments, 10, 15 minutes or so, and all we're going to do is worship the Lord. That's it. And I really believe that as we worship the Lord, it's in his presence, right, that we can find this healing in our lives. So when we stand together, as the worship team leads us, we're just going to worship the Lord. And I want you just to please respond to the Father however you need to respond to him as the Holy Spirit is working in your life this morning. If you want to come and kneel, if you want to come and stand, you're welcome to do that. That's, that's, if you just want to stay in your seat, you're welcome to do that. But let's just turn our eyes on Jesus this morning.